Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Line Media presents Black Arm of the Law. Welcome to Black Arm of the Law podcast, where each week we'll examine the most pressing issues in the criminal legal system. I am your host, Dr. Rochelle Brackney, also known as Chief B. As we settle into today's show, don't forget to download, subscribe, follow, rate, and comment on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So let's jump into it, folks. I've got a lineup. Now, y'all know I normally do this. I'm either solo or I'm bringing on these one-on-ones, but this topic is so important. I needed to bring in some heavy hitters. We're going to be talking about corrections and bail reform. This is making headlines all over the nation right now, and it's one of the hottest topics that we have. So I'm going to do partial introductions as they come into, and as I welcome them um, to the, the the show today. First of all, get this: I have the president of the United Probation Officers Association, right? So we have Dalvani Powell. She is the president, folks. When I looked at her resume um, after they sent me like 15 pages, I'm gonna have to try and condense her career um, into a few words. She has been the first in so many different areas. She is a graduate of John Jay College University with a specialty in criminal justice. She was part of the New York Department of um, Probation. She was part of the greater impact lives of New Yorkers, giving them a second chance. You were a probation officer. We're going to talk about how difficult that is to be a woman of color in this male-dominated field. We're going to jump into that. We're going to then have some conversations with Elias um, Husamadine, who is really on a tear right now um, as the former president of the New York City Department of Corrections and the Officers Benevolent Association about how we reimagine places like Rikers, which we know has a notorious reputation um, across the nation as being one of the places that is in an absolute need of reform. And you know what? We couldn't do this without people like Gina Lopez. Gina is currently, um, if I'm correct, a probation officer, um, and she's with the New York State Department of Corrections. Um, But here's what I'm going to say, that if I have this correct, she attended Edinburgh, if I'm correct, um, PA. Um, Now, y'all know I'm from Pittsburgh, so that's my hometown, and we got lots of shouting outs for those folks that might have been in the Erie area. And the person who brought this all together, um, who chooses to remain in the background, is Carolyn Lewis. She is currently um, a member, as myself, with the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. And she is chairing the um, corrections, reform, and all the things that we really don't hear about um, in the forefront. So Welcome to my guest. I know that was a whole lot, and we're going to have a, a conversation for the folks, for the people. So let me start it out. Um, Madam President, if I may, talk to me about 
the work that you do, particularly um, when we first start thinking about probation officers, parole officers. I mean, we hear a lot about it. We see them on TV, right? They may be um, glorified in some sort of program when we used to see like cops back in the day. But that doesn't really speak to the work that you all do, particularly um, as I let you think about it, which is community engagement and reintegrating back into community look like. Welcome, Madam President. Thank you for having me. I've, my civil service title is supervising probation officer, and I've been with the Department of the New York City Department of Probation. This year will be 37 years. And like you said, I'm the first female president of the United Probation Association. And I've been doing that since 2016. Probation in New York City, because I think other states, they kind of merge together. New York has our, our um, probation department, corrections and parole are all separate. And probation in New York City tends to get mixed up with parole. Probation is the, our, in New York City, we're one of the largest in the in the state. We're one of the largest alternatives to sentencing. And instead of somebody getting sentenced to jail, prison, or a juvenile facility, they're sentenced to probation. And we're charged with working with individuals who are criminally involved and helping them change their behaviors or showing them different options other than um, antisocial behaviors to become law-abiding citizens while balancing um, the responsibility of keeping the community safe. So we have to be, I consider us more like the scales of the, the true scales of justice, because we have to actually strike that balance of keeping these people, having the people on probation, holding them accountable at the same time, keeping the community safe. Probation, and we're not um, we're not punitive. We do everything we can to try to keep a person from out of the system. But a lot of people, a lot of people don't know about probation is that we also share this, I call it the love between corrections and probation because a person can get six months on Rikers or nine months on Rikers and finish the rest of their probation time, four and a half, five years or more in the community and they remain in the community. And that's one of the beautiful things about probation that they remain in the community and get the services that they need. So I'm really going to um, press that point a little more because yes. there is a lot of power that yes. probation officers hold, right? Mm -hmm. So I teach a course called Policing Black Bodies. And Michelle Alexander says the most powerful person in the in the system, she believes, is the prosecutor's office, right? The people who prosecute the crimes. Mm -hmm. I talk about it a little bit differently on the front end and on the back end as being the most powerful people. Yes. That the most powerful person on the front end is police officers, the one who introduces you into the criminal legal system, right, where all that discretion lies. Mm -hmm. And I did that for 38 years, um, and now I'm doing the professor thing. But the most powerful person, once you've entered the system, in my opinion, is probation and parole. Yes, yeah, I, I believe so. And, and, I, and the reason I believe that to be the case is because depending on who's sitting in that seat really does determine what does a justice-oriented supervisory oversight look like? If I'm if I'm thinking about it and hearing it well. So there's there's other I I, I agree with you, and I'm not saying that because I'm the proud mama, <laughs> but I'm saying that because of the role that we play, right? So you think of probation just the supervision component, but then on the front end of probation, there's the intake, there's the assessment, 
there's a family court, there's adjustment, there's investigations. And those those front part, those frontline officers make the determine, they determine whether the person is going to get probation. Recommendations are made to the courts. Courts actually use our recommendations to actually sentence a person, right? Because when we do an investigation report, we have to give them a whole profile of this person, criminal history, social background, their mental health. All these things are taken in consideration after we do the victim impact statement. And one thing about probation, we also include the victims in, in our um in our process. So I agree with you. I think we, we hold a very um important and significant role that's often forgotten and misunderstood. Um the other part, like I mentioned before, we in addition to doing the frontline work and then the actual work of the supervision component, we also have the ability to refer a case back to court. Because if a client is not in compliance with the conditions of probation, which is an agreement between a contract between them and the courts, depending on how egregious it is, right, we have to refer that case back to court because once again, we have to balance keeping the community safe, right? So yeah, I think I I, I truly know that we have a very important role. Just everybody else gotta know we have an important role. So you know what? And that's why I'm gonna bring in, you know, uh, Officer Lopez. Gina, I'm gonna throw out some stats here and to speak to the volume of work that really is required for someone who is in that community supervision um, role and community engagement role. Get this, um, from the Pew organization nationwide, nearly 3.7 million people, one in 69 adults, one out of every 69 adults, were either on probation or parole, which are two very different things. We don't want to confuse parole with probation, right? Probation may come as a result of someone who's being released or an alternative, like as as an add-on, but they're very different systems. Gina, how does that impact your life and how does that inform how you go about your work? Because that's 3.7 million people out of a population of 335 million on either probation or parole. Okay. So um, I actually do uh, supervise people on parole. So I am a parole officer for the New York State Division uh, Community Supervision Department of Corrections. So it really begins while they're in the facility. I think one of the biggest issues or concerns that a lot of us who supervise people or releasees on parole is that we have to affect their stability to be able to engage and remain in the community even when they're done with their parole supervision. And a lot of the reform has this belief that if you just separate them from that system, then that in reality creates them to have a better standing right by existing in the community. When in actuality, we are their stepping stone to being able to help them the whole time they're on parole supervision to get their license, to get their birth certificate, to be able to go to treatment. One of the misconceptions is the amount of um, work and connections we have with the people who we supervise on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's very concerning when a lot of what the reform is doing is cutting them off immediately from our health and our services without any idea of the stability of where they're at to be able to maintain, maintaining in the community, not committing new crimes and having the stable stability lives that they need. So every case is so different that it takes time for you to navigate what to work with that person, when to work with that person. So I think it's just very imperative that 
one person can take up sometimes two hours every day, or it could take up maybe 20 minutes every day. But it's very important that understanding that we have such a connection with our families, the community, and them on a day-to-day basis that it's it's um, very intricate. So right now, the, the conversations politically are around things like progressive prosecutors, letting people out of jail. I just listened to um, a bail reform conversation the other day that Noble hosted including with some folks that, you know, really good friends of ours, uh, Sheriff Steve Tompkins and things of that nature. But one of the things that kept coming up, and I don't know if it's the frustration with officers, I heard it in 1984, and we're hearing it again in 2024. I can't even believe I'm saying that. But the point is, one of the things that they were most um, concerned about is that by the time they're done with their paperwork, that the person who they had arrested was already back out on the streets, right? I know when it comes to probation and parole, those are after the fact kind of things, but bail also suggests what happens if they can't make bail or if they do make bail, they now enter into the criminal legal system in a very different way than had they been released. The quick question to you, Gina, and then I'm gonna go to Elias is this, As a result of the number of folks who are under under some sort of control, right, of the carceral state, whether that, that, whatever that looks like, like I said, 3.7 million, how does that, what does that caseload look like for somebody who's a probation officer or a parole officer? Madam Prez, you might want to jump in right after that too, and then we're going to talk about what happens when you stay in the system and where the needs to reform may be for either advocacy for probation and parole or when people are being actually housed. Gina? Well, currently the caseload is very, very chaotic. And when I say that is the new reforms have created these new stepping stones within the system, but then there's no services for us to be able to help the person who's now been violated, right? We cannot send them back to being incarcerated, which many parole officers, that's not what they wanted. They always want to be able to help. I think one of the things that needs to be understood is that most people, by the time I have, or I, or my coworkers have violated someone on parole, We have been working with them for around six to four months, trying to not violate them and trying to work with them with all navigating through all the systems. And then at the end, the only thing we can say is they have not complied with their parole supervision. And at this point in time, we must violate them due to noncompliance. I think there's this misbelief that the immediate thing is we want to violate, we want to take somebody into into incarcerated, and that's not the case because we understand which most parole officers have a four-year degree and six years experience have all worked in other facets of the criminal justice system know that you have to people will relapse three or four times people will need to be able to not show up for treatment several times to re-engage and make them really fully comply with being in treatment so i think our caseloads are continuously all the time navigated here and there with what we need to do with that person and a law or a legislation is not as black and white but our supervision is so case by case every day that i can't give you a real answer on what would i do with one person what i do with another person right because they're all individuals and they're all people that i have to work with where they're at someone might not be able to get a go to college But if I got him a full-time job where he's going every day, that's a stability for him. That's actually 
where he would be able to maintain himself being in the community. Someone else would be able to go to college. So it's such a, our caseload size and how we navigate is always so intricate that it's hard to explain to somebody and they want a black and white answer and we just can't give it to them. You're right, Gina. And the reason I I think it's just so complicated is because of what might cause someone to be violated, where you may not necessarily, where people think you're choosing to send them back, right? Like, let me lighten my caseload, right? I know the numbers are, are high for technical violations, um, approximately, I think it's 2021 is the last set of numbers I was able to get about 128,000 out of the 3.1 million under control, 128,000 um, across all of these systems were violated for technical violations, whether it was, you know, not reporting on time, not keeping their job, um, non-criminal kind of violations. And I know you'll often hear the community say, well, this so this probation officer, they, they just violate all the time. And that may be true. But from what I hear everyone says who's really in this work, you're not trying to have repeat business, right? Like you ain't trying to have repeat business. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Madam President, and then, and then we're going to go to um, Elias. Well, for us, we, look, we have this saying as we call it one size fit one. So we don't treat everybody the same. So that's one. One thing that Gina said, we meet them where they at. That's two. In the Department of Probation in New York City, and I believe in other areas, we have, we strategically have our cases structured where they're dealing with a specialized unit. So we might have probation officers. We have the sex offender unit. We have the, now we're getting ready to bring back the gun unit. We have the domestic violent unit. Then we have like a general population. We have officers who work in our NEON, which is called the Neighborhood Network Opportunity NEON um, units. Those like the high risk. We have low risk. So we, we try to, we deal with them, like, like she said, we, we meet them where they're at, but we deal with them based on their, I guess, more of operandi, what they, you know, I don't want to say specialize in, but what they commit to crime on. How they've so offended. Try, yeah, right. So we fo- we focus in on that. And then we have family court because, see, the difference, I don't, but us, we deal also with juveniles. So our kids come in as young as, what, 8, 10 years old? They might be 10 years old now with the raise of age. But we deal with juveniles as well who also are specialized in the different lives units. And in the juvenile probation, we have them in alternatives to incarcerations for programs with smaller caseloads. Our caseloads, we try to keep them as low as possible so we can give them that time in, that, that they need. But because we have such a high turnaround rate, it's becoming really difficult because our salaries are horrible, which is another conversation. You'll do another podcast on that one. But we try to keep the caseloads down and meet them like Gina said, where they at. But one thing that we do not do, and I know parole doesn't do it either, we can't violate on a, on a technical. I don't know about parole, so I've never been a parole officer, but we can't violate on a technical. We can't just violate because you got high. We can't violate because you failed to report, right? It has to get, something has to go with that. Now, if they abscond, that's different. If there's like a murder or a re, there's usually a rearrest attached to it. And for a kid, we can't, 
we can't even violate a kid on a re-arrest without including school records and other other supporting documentation. So when it comes to probation versus parole, like I said, I've never really, I've never been a parole officer. Our, our structure is a little different because the whole objective is of probation is keeping them out of the license place, corrections, keeping them from never meeting Gina. I'm sorry, Gina, no, no offense because they got to go. That's our objective is to keep them out of the system. And I just, because I was going to tell you what we do is, and I'm sure parole does the same thing. We partner with other services and providers to try because we can't do it by ourselves. So we, we set them up with the providers. And at the neons that we have, which is a beautiful thing, it's more it's, it's community based, right? It's not in the courthouse, it's in the communities. We have locations in all five areas where we can help them with food and clothes and medical services right on site. So we have that like one shop, one side, one shop, one stop shopping um set up at, at probation as well. So we like I said, we caseloads, like you said, we in the specialized unit you have a protocol for what it should be, but then things happen where it's not always gonna be so neatly packaged. You know, and like she said, one thing you said, Jimmy, you know the nose. I could come in the office today and say, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z. And I can spend all day on one family or one adult. Mm-hmm. Because probation is very unpredictable. And not to mention that we go on the street. So we're not just sitting mm-hmm. behind the desk. We going in the fields. We doing consent mm-hmm. searches, right? We doing consent. We, that's something we have in common. We going mm-hmm. and we do what 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 Lice and them did in the facility. So now we going into homes and we pulling out drugs. We pulling out child pornography. We pulling out all kind of stuff that people don't realize. That's what we both entities are doing. So we call it. Some people say community supervision. I call it community corrections because. You do it on the other end. I do it on the front end. Can I just say one other thing too? One of the things I will tell you is when we violate, I think when the whole new reform push initiative came, when they looked at it, yes, based on how the law was written before Less Is More came in, when you violated someone on parole, you allowed them to plead to one charge to complete their entire violation. So when advocates would go and say, yes, somebody was violated just on a curfew or just on a on a home visit, the totality was that was what they were allowed to plead to to get their delinquency time to continue on parole supervision. But if you really looked at the violation, they probably had 10 to 15 violations or charges against them that was the totality of that entire violation. So yes, if you looked at it hindsight on a piece of paper, yes, someone did plead to one charge for a violation of a parole. However, if you looked at the totality of that violation, it would have showed us working with them for over four to six months, trying to get them back into compliance, and we didn't. So then we would create our violation, and that was the whole totality of the violation. Also, most people on parole supervision have been on probation three to four times before they even got to us. So we're dealing even with the higher population of high-risk individuals who have not maintained being able to be compliant in other alternatives to initiatives of incarceration, and then finally reach their, uh, you know, being violated and going to prison and coming back out to us. So we're really dealing with a very um, intricate population. And 64% of people on parole right now are violent felony offenders. That's right. 64% of them right now that are coming out to parole supervision. So let's talk about that, um, Elias. And the reason is the work that, that you're doing is um, 
important. So folks, it's um, Elias Husamadeen. He's the former president of the New York Department of Corrections um, Officers Benevolent Association. So I'm going to throw you with some stats here that might feel, you know, when we start talking about all of criminal justice reform and particularly in corrections. Currently right now, the Department of Corrections, again, we have federal, um, state, local, and tribal systems um, that don't necessarily collaborate with each other. Right now, we have 1.1 million people in um, 1,566 state um, you know, prisons. We have about 200,000 that are in 98 different federal prisons, a half a million in about 3,100 local jails. Don't have the numbers on this, but we have 1,323 juvenile facilities. Um, we have about 180-something immigration detention facilities in 80 tribal country jails. Like we all about some jail systems, right? Like when they say you build it, uh, they will come. I say, yeah, they build it and they're gonna force you into it because somebody's gotta pay for them dollars, right? Somebody's gotta make sure that the, the private prisons for profit are these you know, local state jails and whatever, somebody's paying for that. There was a saying that said years ago, crime didn't pay, right? I'm definitely giving my age here. And it was maybe like Beretta or something, crime doesn't pay. I said it pays all the time for everybody except the one person who is being introduced into the criminal legal system. Talk to me about Rikers and what your attempts are to reframe and reimagine the conversation around Rikers in spite of um, the mandates that came out um, that things were to be done by 2017 and now we're in 2027 and Mayor, you know, Eric Adams is doing Mayor Eric Adams, all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, first, uh, thank you for having me. Um, for me, I think that it's important. I think sometimes in law enforcement, we forget our role. We forget what it is that we're supposed to be about. I'm a firm believer that when we're talking about criminal justice reform, there are three people that should be at the head of the table. And that should be in this order, probation, corrections, and parole. Uh, I think the incarcerated will spend most of their time with these three people than anyone else. Uh, and they're going to spend more time with corrections than they're going to spend with probation and parole. Um, I think that we sometimes forget that it's about, about one, reducing recidivism, two, rehabilitation, and three, for a lot of us, ending generational incarceration. So I served for 34 years as a correction officer, an elected labor official. I was the president of the Correction Officers Union in New York. I was the treasurer, the vice president, and I retired and I created an organization called the Eli Global Reform Foundation, which is about criminal justice reform. And I actually put together a blueprint for Rikers Out. And, uh, you know, there's there's been some pushback because there are some people who believe that Corrections should only be about punishment and they don't really, you know, most people say lock them up, throw away the key and they forget like in New York City, 85 percent of the people who um, are incarcerated return to the community that they came from. And if most of us are thinking we don't want them to return worse than when they went. And as a result of that, you know, and putting together the plan, I 
put together a campus-style facility for Rikers Island. For most who don't know, Rikers Island is 420 acres. And my opinion is we don't need 420 acres for a jail. We just don't. And right now, New York City jails, is there's about 6,000 people there. And uh, they're talking about closing it, and they're talking about keeping the numbers at 3,300, which I'm not quite sure which mathematical genius came up with those numbers and actually think that in a city of 8.1 million people that we're only going to ever have 3,300 people locked up in the jail. For instance, last year, uh, corrections took custody of almost 22,000 people. That's not their average daily population. That's just the people who came through through the system. So it's not something that's going to work. One of the things that I'm proposing is, is that we begin to treat uh, criminal justice reform as an investment, as an investment to the economic and the, uh, the, the, the political fabric of the city. If we actually uh, did that, then we would actually see see the numbers on re, on recidivism reduce. For whatever reason, um, New York City have spent more than twenty billion dollars in the last ten years, over twenty billion dollars to reduce recidivism and for criminal justice reform. And New York City recidivism rate is the same or as high as the nation. Why is that? And the reality is, we have to start looking at. Uh, providing the incarcerated with the things that they're going to need. In my 34 years, I've never seen a jail filled with carpenters. I've never seen a jail filled plumbers, electricians. So part of my plan, I said to the city of New York, that on Rikers Island, we could take 100 acres, build a campus-style facility, and create 15 buildings, and only four of those buildings need to be jails. The other buildings need to be a mental health facility because it's a fact that New York City runs the largest mental health facility in the East Coast, but we don't have a mental health facility. We have units. It's a fact that when you provide people with skills and vocational training, they come to jail less and less and less. All of these things are a fact, and I just don't really, like, understand. I expected more from so many black and brown legislators and lawmakers, but it appears that they seem to be, in New York anyway, they seem to be taking the same route as those before them, and those before them haven't been successful. Like, New York City recidivism rate haven't been reduced, damn, in the last 10 years. Why? And I think it's because we're taking the wrong approach. Well, it's because we lack imagination, right? You're right. It's it's faster, quicker, easier to be punitive than to invest in people, right? And I saw your, your blueprint for what Rikers could be, including to rename the place. So it, you know, a name means everything. We all were talking about our names here, right? You know, yes. I'll go Jaheem on you, some, you know, Name ourselves some some funny names, but don't hate on us, right? We fabulous. So I'm telling you, we lack imagination, right? We're always trying to reimagine, reinvent, uh, reform something. The most interesting projects come from the person who imagined for the first time what could be, not the person who reimagined anything whatsoever. And as we're starting to reimagine why or imagine why oftentimes people who look like us don't buy in is because for too long they have sat comfortable in their places being either white or white adjacent 
and their philosophies and ideas about how we treat Black people, right? And so they become comfortable with that. And some of the most um, vocal, you know, um, supporters, if you think back in the 1994 Uniform Crime Bill, Three Strikes You're Out, was the Black folks who said, let's do something, right? That resulted in all the things that happened in New York around stop and frisk, including the Congressional Black Caucus who said, well, at least we'll get something out of this for what we want to do. So we lack imagination. And so what is impacting all of you all is just a pushback um, about those experts who are sitting in the seats who are best positioned to provide the feedback, they ain't listening. And the only other persons I would add to um, Elias who need to be sitting in that front end is those persons who are impacted, right? Have people whose lived experiences who have been impacted around, um, literally I just wrote a response about what does the intergenerational transmission of contact with the criminal legal system look like? How are we pushed in to the criminal legal system by these, you know, institutions of supremacy that don't care about anything about anybody who looks like us. Audience, there's just no way we can tackle this huge subject in one session. So come back, come back now next week for part two of this amazing conversation. Don't forget to download, subscribe, follow, rate, and comment on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts like Apple, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon, and always the mean old Lion Media app. This is the end of my shift for this week. I'm 1042. Catch you next week. The Black Arm of the Law podcast is hosted by Rashal Brackney Wheelock. Executive producers Ken Johnson, Steve Tompkins, and Rashal Brackney Wheelock. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, the Mean Old Line Media app, or where you get your podcast. Follow Black Arm of the Law at BLK Arm of the Law on IG and X. Follow the Mean Old Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean Old Line Media. Get the Mean Old Line Media app in the App Store and Google Play for more great podcasts. The Black Arm of the Law Podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.